It is true. The struggle is indeed real. It is great to have you in the house this morning. I want to begin our time together right now by asking you a question. And this is a question that's going to require a little vulnerability on your part, a little transparency, if you will. I'm curious how many of us remember, or maybe you saw live in person or pay-per-view, you remember the days when Mike Tyson was fighting as the heavyweight champion of the world. How many of you, that's okay, date yourself. I was there, I know, that's all right. You know, it was 1986 when Iron Mike Tyson was crowned heavyweight champion of the world. And at 20 years old, he was the youngest person to ever wear that crown. And to be sure, he was a bad dude. I mean, he was pretty much the baddest man on the planet long before the facial tattoos and the incarcerations and the bankruptcies and the hangover movies. He was an amazing, amazing athlete. And one time before Mike was to defend his title, a reporter approached him with what I'm sure he thought was a very provocative question. He said, Mike, your opponent says he has a plan for how to beat you. And Tyson never skipped a beat and very famously replied, everybody has a plan. (laughs) Until they get punched in the mouth. (laughs) Now I'm going to tell you something. That right there are words to live by. Everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. You know, I think a lot of times you and I in our world day in and day out, we forget that we're going to get punched in the mouth. Hopefully it's metaphorically that we're receiving the jabs or maybe the uppercuts and every now and then somebody from out of nowhere comes in with a haymaker. But the fact is we're going to get punched in the mouth. And unless we have a plan, unless we know what to do when that moment arrives, we are absolutely sitting ducks. A few weeks ago, we started this series, The Struggle is Real, and the series was actually rooted in the reality of Easter, the reality that Jesus is God in the flesh, the reality that Jesus went to the cross, and there on that cross became my sin and your sin, and because of that, he died there on that cross, but the reality that he also rose on the third day with the offer of new life for anyone who would choose to place their trust in him. Anyone who would say, you are God, I am not, I will follow you. Jesus says, I will give you life. And that is where this series kind of began. But last weekend, we realized that the struggle is definitely not over. Though Jesus struggled in the hours leading up to and certainly on the cross, it was there on the cross that he began and really identified with you and me in our day in and day out struggles. We don't serve a God who is remote, who is at a distance, who is far off, but rather we serve a God who is truly, really God with us. And therefore, in our struggles, we are not alone. We're not alone and we're not left to our own devices to try and figure it out when we kind of step up and go, you know what, the struggle really is real. Particularly when it comes to the struggle of temptation. 
Temptation is one of those things that we all encounter, we all face, and for a lot of us, the struggle is very, very real. Some of us are thinking right now, yeah, the struggle is called Saturday night. It's only a few hours old. Or maybe for you, the real struggle of your life was a season known as college. Or maybe the struggle is different, but the fact is we all wrestle with temptation. And what we want to get at today is what to do about it. How does the fact of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection bear in on how we handle temptation? To get at this, I want us to understand something from the Bible. Look on your outlines or on the screen behind me. If you've got a Bible, you can look at James chapter 1. In James 1, the Bible says this. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. God blesses those who endure testing and temptation. So right off the bat, James is kind of starting to frame the struggle. He's helping us to understand the battle that we are facing as we approach temptation, as, a, as temptation approaches us. But look at how he continues in verse 13. This is really important. He says, now, when you're tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. So it's important for us to understand the character and the nature of God, particularly as it relates to the struggle of temptation. Because a lot of times when we face temptation, we're like, God's testing me, God's tempting me, God's put this in front of me. And then you need to understand Nothing could be further from the truth. And James explains it here beautifully. You see, God tests us for our development. Satan tempts us for our destruction. God will test us to develop us and to strengthen us and to reinforce what's already there. But Satan, our enemy, the liar, the deceiver, he will tempt you for your destruction. He will tempt you with things that will lead you away from a relationship with God and toward, ultimately, death. Away from the God who gave you life, the God who loves you, the God who empowers you towards the things that kill and steal and destroy. So God tests us for our development, but Satan will tempt us for our destruction. So when we come across temptation, when we're tempted to give in, we need to remember where that's coming from and be able to identify the source so that we know then how to respond. Now, very quickly, I want to just give you something. If you will, take out the program that you got when you came in. I want to show you a progression of temptation. I want to show you kind of how this plays itself out day in and day out because here on sunday morning let's be honest this is the laboratory this is where we're all you know relatively clean and and we've you know brushed our teeth before we had all our coffee and everything but in here it's really cool and easy and we go oh yes hallelujah brother preach that about resisting temptation but let's think about thursday at 4 15 Let's think about Thursday at 4.15 when, when you're tired and the week has been a grind and maybe you've been at the, at the office all week and man, that, that, just that last little straw that breaks the camel's back or maybe you've been really, really, really working hard and you've been a stay-at-home mom all week and Thursday at 4.15 comes along and you're kind of like, huh, huh, 
you should go outside <laughs> right now for your safety. You know what I'm talking about? When you, because here everybody's, oh, I love my children. Yes, I'm never tempted to, to ever raise a harsh word. But you and I both know Thursday at 4.15 is different than Sunday at 11. Somebody help me preach. And so I want to help you understand so you see this progression and raise awareness of it so that you can do something about it. The progression of a temptation begins with our motives. With our, what is it that, that drives you? What, what is your motivation in life? Because your motive will then give birth to the thoughts in your life. Now, our thought life is really interesting, isn't it? Because we can't always control what thoughts come into our minds, can we? But we can absolutely control how long we let them linger in our minds. Like, there have been times, I'm not doing it right now, but there have been times when I've been preaching a sermon, and I'm in the middle of a sentence, and I start thinking to myself, I wonder what it would be like to fly through the auditorium right now if I just started right back. And I keep the sentence going. You know what that was right there? That was the laugh of recognition. You know what I'm talking about. So our, our motives give birth to our thoughts. Then our thoughts give birth to our words. The things that we think about, the things that we really let linger in our minds, that's what we talk about. That's what, that's what we talk about with the people we hang out with. That, that's what we talk about and, and start to make plans for and think about and talk about. So... Our motives give birth to thoughts, which give birth to words, and then our words give birth to our actions. And our actions, that's, that's our track record. That's our, that's our legacy. That's, that's our, our performance review. That, that's what we really and truly do. It's always been amazing to me when I, when I talk to single women who, who are dating guys that are just, you know, Jesus loves them, but they're jerks. And they're like, you know, he's, I mean, he's really a nice guy, but he started dating other girls while we were seeing each other exclusively. I'm like, whoa, 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 time out. That's not a nice guy. It's a guy, but he's not a nice guy. So you, what you do, your actions, your actual behavior actually matters. Tell your neighbor right now with passion and enthusiasm, what you do matters. It's unbelievable. People have really and truly started to buy the lie that you that started a few years ago on television. It started with the Las Vegas tourism commercials. Remember, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. No, it don't. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. What you do follows you. What I do follows me. Excuse me just a second. All right. Too many Marlboros too early this morning. <laughs> I was tempted. Sue me. I'm just I'm teasing. I joke because I care. <clears throat> I did not have I didn't have any Marlboros this morning. So, okay. Our behavior. Now, what what do we do about temptation? This we have to develop a plan. Remember Iron Mike Tyson? If you're going to get hit in the mouth with temptation, you better have a plan, Jack, Jackie. So the plan is what I've kind of referred to as an inside-out strategery. It's a strategery about what to, some of you are looking up on your phones right now. It's not a real word. It's not. 
but it communicates volumes. You got to have a strategy for when, not if, when you get hit in the mouth with temptation. First part of the strategy is this. Number one, identify your vulnerabilities. Identify your vulnerabilities. Know where your soft spots, your weak spots are before the temptation arises, before you're confronted with it. Know what's going on. So much of this is just a very real effort at awareness, at being aware and being alert to temptation and the dangers of temptation. Look at what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs, of course, is, is one of the wisdom books. This is wise living. It says this, The way of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn. Isn't that a great phrase? The first gleam of dawn, which shines ever brighter until the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like total darkness. They have no idea what they are stumbling over. Now, I would love to tell you, in the confines of this worship center, that I don't understand that verse. But you know what? I know what it's like to stumble over the same sin over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And before you get judgmental on me, just understand that the Apostle Paul did the same thing. So have at us. <laughs> but that's like saying Michael Jordan and I combined for 45 points. You know what I'm saying? But you got to identify. <laughs> Some of y'all be at lunch at Luby's and, oh. But what are your vulnerabilities? Where are you most susceptible to temptation? Where are those weak spots in your life? I don't, I don't know where this began for me. There wasn't a traumatic injury, but about seven or eight months ago, I noticed a, a pain in, in my shoulder, just right here on the front, front kind of delt, that, that big cannonball attached to my arm right here. There was a little bit of a pain that if I just moved it just the right way, if I, you know, if I was lifting a, a massive kettlebell or something like that, that pain would just, boom, shoot down my arm. I'm like, whoa, whoa. And, and so I, I kind of lived with it, and I was like, man, this is just bugging me. It didn't matter how long I took off, how much rest I gave it, or if I you know, took Advil. It just stayed there, would not go away. So finally I went to see a chiropractor. A chiropractor. My voice is changing, too, this morning. That's good. <laughs> and he worked it over. I mean, well, it seems like three or four times, man. He was putting the heat on. He's like, mm, mashing it around, hurt. I mean, painful like yeah there it is that's yeah you got it right there big boy and finally he said mac i can't i can't get at this because there's, there's so much inflammation in the joint you need to go get a steroid shot i was like i don't know if that's even safe for somebody who puts on muscle like i do <laughs> if i just one little injection i could just blow up he goes i think you'll be okay and so this week I went to see a doctor, a physician, and he, you know, kind of had me do some, you know, exercise and movements and showed where it was strong, where it was weak. And sure enough, he goes, yeah, you need a shot. And it was right in that, that shoulder joint, that ball and socket joint of the shoulder. He came into the exam room with a horse needle. It was like this, it was weird. It was this long, that big around. 
And I, he saw my eye. It wasn't quite that big. But he, he goes, don't worry. First thing I'm going to do is deaden it. I said, I know. And so he took he took a little swab and you know cleaned up and went in there like, woo, there you go. That's it, Doc. That's the one. Yeah. And I thought it was like, boom, ping, out. No, 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 no. He stayed in there. He went this way. He then went that way. He then went that way. Never took that needle out. When he pulled it out, I had a hole this big in my arm. He said, you want to apply some pressure right here? I said, I guess so. Anyway. But here's the amazing thing about it. 18 hours later, I didn't even realize this was going on. Julie was getting ready to leave town with Joseph. He had a field trip he was going on. And she said, can you get my uh, suitcase out of the closet? I said, of course, honey. That's what I do. And I went into the closet and I reached up and I grabbed Julie's suitcase. And I was pulling it out. And I went, this thing is unbelievable. I'm getting steroid shots every day. I had no pain. The shoulder moved like it was supposed to. I pulled that big old suitcase out, put it back in, pulled it out. It was unbelievable. But in order for the shoulder to get well, I had to identify the vulnerability. You know, a lot of times we fall into the same sin. What does the Bible say here? They have no idea why they're stumbling. No idea what's going on. Identify your vulnerabilities. Know where you're weak and then set yourself up for a win. Set yourself up for a win. Identify your vulnerabilities. Number two, know your enemy. Know your enemy. Let me tell you what I'm talking about explicitly. No gray area. John chapter 8. Jesus is talking about Satan. Jesus says this. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, it's consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. I always love it when people say Jesus was a nice guy. Jesus ain't playing here, folks. He says, you have an enemy. I have an enemy. And he is a murderer. He will steal the life God desires and designs you for. Satan is real. See, the problem is in our culture, in our world, in our sophisticated 21st century minds, Satan has kind of become a cartoon character. We think about the red cape and the horns and the pitchfork, and we're like, oh, that's a fictional character for Halloween. No, he's not. Satan is alive and well. Satan was originally one of God's angels. His name was Lucifer, the angel of light. He led worship in heaven and decided that he wanted to be God. And so he led an insurrection and a rebellion against God. Full thing to do. And so God cast him and all of his rebellion cohorts out of heaven. That's where Satan came from. And since then, he has been opposed to everything that God is in favor of. He is a murderer and the father of lies. And he is our enemy you got to know who you're dealing with. You're not just playing tiddlywinks. You're not shadow boxing a false figure. You're fighting a very real, I'm fighting a very real enemy. We've got to know that. 
We've got to understand how he operates. Elsewhere, the Bible says he's like a roaring lion who prowls about looking for those whom he will devour. And the ditches are littered with people he has devoured, with marriages he has devoured, with parent-child relationships that he's chewed up and spit out, with businesses gone bankrupt because of dishonesty, with churches torn apart by disunity and dishonesty. Know your enemy. Now, we don't need to go looking for the enemy. And there's some people that look for demons under every rock. They pull into the mall parking lot, and if they can't find a spot, that's the, the demon of the parking lot. Satan is real. We need to be aware of that. We need to be on guard against him, but we also need to understand that God is real, and God has already won the war. That's the reality of the resurrection. So it's imperative that we understand there are battles, there are still skirmishes going on. But make no mistake about it, the war has been decided when Jesus rose from the dead. That's the fact. That's the reality of our situation. But you've got to know your enemy. You've got to know who it is that you're dealing with. When I was a senior in high school, I was playing basketball, and we had a, bat, we had a team that was kind of on a rebound. We had had just a horrible history as a high school. We had never made the playoffs. And my senior year, we had a coach that had come in my junior year and we were kind of on a great track but we ran into a very real problem our very real problem was the madison high marlins madison high school in houston's where vince young went to high school and my senior year of high school a few years before vince their basketball team went 40 and 0 on their way to the state championship we gave them two of their 40 at the end of halftime of our first game against Madison, they were up by 18 points. They had beat us seven ways from Sunday. They were unbelievable, unreal. We, we kind of walked out of the locker room at halftime like, can we just go home? And We go back out, and I played so long ago that there was a tip-off at the beginning of the second half. That, that's a long time ago, and, you know, short shorts. I was going to bring a picture, but it was obscene, and so... <clears throat> We walk out to midcourt for the second half tip-off, and referees kind of stepping into position, and we're sitting there like this, and this guy standing next to me playing for, for Madison, he's leaning over, holding on to his shorts, and he just looks over at me, and he goes, y'all ready for the comeback? That's called mockery. There was nothing I could say. Nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. They were beating us like a fool. You and I know in our struggle with temptation, the war is won. There will be no comeback for our enemy. But until that final battle, there will be skirmishes. We've got to be aware of that and be ready and be on guard. Be on point for those temptations. Number three. Number three is where we start to go outside. Remember I said it's an inside-out strategy? Number three, pray strategically. Now some of you are thinking, well, Mac, prayer, that's kind of inside. No, it's not. Because in prayer, what happens internally affects what happens externally. Look at what the Bible says. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God 
is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, if you notice, it doesn't say if. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So this is where we begin to pray strategically. In the temptation. But there's something very, very important there that I think is just kind of implied between the lines, but is so important. What does he say? The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. I think a lot of times the reason I have given in to temptation is because I was trying to fight it all alone. So many times we're in the middle of a temptation, we're like, nobody else has ever dealt with this kind of pressure. I am alone in the world. And listen, I get it. I felt that way. That's just not the truth. That's just not real. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that Jesus was tempted in every way we're tempted. Now, it might have been with a different vehicle. It might have been with a different um, application. But the principle behind the temptations that you and I face are identical to the temptations that Jesus faced. They are the same that others have experienced. But in that moment, God will not let you be tempted. Remember, he's sovereign. He's in charge. So he decides. If you're going to be tempted by something, that means there's a way out. When you're in the middle of temptation, there is a way out. You know what the problem is a lot of times? We just kind of go, oh, well, I mean, I've come this far. (laughs) I mean... I'm at Whataburger. I might as well get the bacon cheeseburger. (laughs) Except you and I both know that it's not always as innocuous or harmless as putting bacon on a cheeseburger. A lot of times we're in the middle of the battle. We're in the middle of temptation. And we just kind of say, oh, well, what the heck? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says that does not have to be that is invalid before god he will show you a way out in the middle of temptation in the middle of it god show me a way out i pray for your wisdom i ask for your discipline show me a way out he'll do it he's promised that show me a way out and then number four and we're going to close here i love this one fight unfairly fight unfairly don't try to make this a fair fight second corinthians chapter 10 says this the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world the weapons of the world willpower i i'm gonna do it by george no not the weapons of the world on the contrary Our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The weapons that we fight with, the Spirit of God, gives us the ability to demolish strongholds. A stronghold is just an area in your life, an area in my life where Satan has a grip 
where, where Satan has an opportunity to tempt us on a regular basis or where we're particularly vulnerable. But the weapons of God demolish those strongholds. It tears down those strongholds and gives us the victory in that battle. Tears down the strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Anything against what God says biblically, anything that runs counter or contrary to Scripture, God says, I will give you the tools necessary to fight that. But you have to take every single thought captive to Christ. If you have a crazy thought, if you have a sinful thought, take it captive to Christ. Jesus, this is yours. I am yours. Take this thought and replace it with your presence, with your power, with your truth. This is where scripture memorization comes into play and works. <clears throat> Look at what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4. The word of God, scripture, is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The Word of God works. It's a roadmap for the life that God created you for, that He created me for. We spend so much time arguing with the Bible, don't we? Well, that was written 2,000 years ago. I, I don't know that that's really relevant. Well, you know, people wrote that down, and people make mistakes all the time. I mean, not me, but people who write the Bible make mistakes all the time. The Word of God is alive and active. In John chapter 1, the Bible says that the Word became flesh. That the Word was in the beginning with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh. And the Word, Jesus, the fulfillment of every word of Scripture, Jesus made his dwelling among us. That, that he became God with us. For the purpose of relationship. For the purpose of power. For the purpose of peace. This is the promise of the word that is flesh. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And I want to ask you in this moment, if you would, to be still If you're here today and you've never stepped into that relationship with Jesus, we want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. To step into the promise of life. The life that is truly life. It might surprise you to know that all it takes is your commitment to Christ. You 
personally giving your life to Jesus. Confessing your sins. Claiming his forgiveness. And choosing and committing to follow him with everything that you've got. If that's you today, I want to invite you just to pray right where you're sitting. Just silently in your own words, just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I claim your forgiveness. I confess my sins. And I will follow you from this moment forward with everything I have. Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, because this is holy ground that we're on. If that was your prayer and you meant it for the first time in your life, you need to know this is the greatest moment of your life. And I want to invite you just to mark this moment, to stamp it. If you would just quietly raise your hand while our heads are bowed, just raise your hand and hold it up high in the air for just a moment so that you know this is real. This happened. And also, we want you to know that we want to be a a church family for you, with you. We want to help you grow in this new relationship. And by the way, we want to learn from you. So this is a big deal for us as well. So we honor that. We celebrate that. As you put your hands down, we put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.